Hey all, it's Brendan, and before we start this next episode, I wanted to take a moment and just come on here to make sure that we thank you guys for listening to our podcast. Um, you know, we hope that you're enjoying these episodes, and we're continuing to get better as, at it as we go, and so we just appreciate you listening and your support. We have an Instagram page, so if you're not following us there, we would love the follow. It's it's uh, mushing.alaska.podcast. Same with Facebook, Mushing Mushing Alaska. That page is literally brand new, so we're still growing that. But for anyone who has any questions or feedback or wants to interact with us, we would encourage you to do it on those two platforms. And as we get ready for the Iditarod, we encourage you to submit any questions you may have about the race or about certain racers. One thing we want to do is try to cover it as much as possible. And so I just wanted to, you know, come on here and say that. In addition to that, um, while Sean's been out of town, I've been recording some podcast episodes with some folks that I'm familiar with. And so for this next episode, uh, we brought Eddie Burke Jr. back on. And, you know, for me, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. So a lot of the folks that Sean has met, I haven't. And so it's kind of hard to bring someone on to the show who I have no established relationship with. So, um, you know, our last episode, Isaac Tiford, that's someone that I've met before. And we just did a we did an episode earlier in the season with with Eddie Burke. And, you know, I really like the guy. He's a super nice guy down to earth. Um, and, you know, I can understand why Sean's friends with him. And so it was kind of easy for us to kind of just pick back up, especially as he transitions and gets ready for this Iditarod race coming up. It's first race as a rookie. So very excited for that. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. And again, thank you guys for all the love. All right. All right. All right. Welcome back to the Mushing Alaska podcast. I'm one of the hosts. This is Brendan. And well, Sean's not with us today. If you guys will recall he's doing this epic uh like three week float floating down the colorado and uh he's having a good time he actually i would probably about a week ago he he hit me up on his little gps phone and he he was like hey man who won the quest how to man to do also let me know who won the super bowl love to everyone Tell the family it's been amazing and smoothish. So he's doing good and uh well can't wait for him to be back, but gotta carry the show on. And uh so tonight I'm I'm excited to have another round with our guest, Mr. Eddie Burke Jr. Welcome back, sir. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Happy to be back. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much for the time. And, uh, you know, on the front end of this, I was experiencing some technical difficulties with my computer. So appreciate your patience. And, uh, well, let's just kind of get back into some things. I, uh, I revisited our first podcast together. And one thing that I had a lot of questions, but Sean and you guys, you, you guys really kind of went down the hole on some things. So, uh like I went back and I was like all right there's a couple things I want to follow up on and um so yeah but 
essentially the last time we left you, you were you were about to kind of getting ready for the Cusco. And, okay. Um, it's all kind of a blur for me. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah, dude. I guess uh, I'm just kind of curious. You know, third place at the Cusco. That's pretty freaking solid. I would love to hear your your feedback on the experience, the race. You know, how did it go for you? What was your what was your overall thoughts on things? I was, I mean, of course, I was very happy with the uh, with the results. I mean, place top three, you know, third at the Cusco with was some of the best dog teams and dog drivers in the world. And, you know, Cusco is known to be one of the toughest. And that was a tough, slow trail. And um, yeah, the, the dogs performed well. Obviously, Pete and Matt were were um, extremely competitive and um, they were setting a, a, a really good pace. But um, yeah, I, I was happy with uh, the way way my team finished. I came across the line with 11 healthy dogs. And uh, so, so that was big for me. I got 12 all the way back around to Tulisac. So with that kind of trail conditions and the, the pace of the race and everything, I was, I was happy about that. Um, but what I was going to say is you guys had prime conditions, right? For that race, it was pretty optimal for, for you and for the dogs. No, it was like 36 above raining overflow lots of water um no trail past Tulisac or uh cow skag so it was just trail breaking from there um and then they finally sent a snow machine out and that ended up intersecting us so i was actually the first one to leave um cow skag and i was breaking trail there for a bit so you know, that was a little taxing, but um, eventually Pete and Richie and some others caught up and we all kind of leapfrogged and moseyed our way on to Antioch. But uh, yeah, it was it, it was definitely not u- usual uh, Cusco conditions. OK, I think I was con- uh, mixing up the quest had kind of some more prime conditions. Yes. Than, so for sure. So, yeah, it was. It was really warm. It was wet. Lots of overflow. Um, yeah. And there was a lot of, it had just snowed. So it was, they had a good amount of snow up past Kalskag. So it was just, and then the trail set up a bit on our way back, leaving Antioch. And um, from there, I guess it, it was still real like, holy and punchy and it had a lot of ruts and just real rough you know but it actually had a little bit of a crust to it and um that's kind of where pete and matt separated from me and i just they were those guys were like motoring 10 miles an hour through it 10 and a half miles an hour 11 miles an hour and like I, it just did not look comfortable for my dogs to, to go at that kind of pace. So we just, we kept it a little more conservative and I wasn't trying to ding up dogs, you know? So, um, but yeah, a lot of big props to them, you know, for being able to, uh, just turn it on and, you know, press the pace and pull away. So, but yeah, overall 
third place, very happy. Dogs did great. So I love to hear that. Um, you know, and I think part of you, your decision in that race is kind of keeping in mind what you have ahead of you as well, right? You're not like you're you're kind For of sure. like big picture. I, I still have a, a, a thousand mile race ahead of me. You know, and and we're all in that same boat, but some of us have the luxury of maybe having like a pool of 18 to 20, you know, I did a rod race dogs, you know, um, I have, I mean, I started the season out with 17, um, but I knew one wouldn't make it. So I was down to, down to 16 and I knew one probably wouldn't make it past February. Cause she's kind of more of just a mid distance dog. So really I knew I had about 15 dogs for Iditarod and, you know, just little injuries come up, of course, nicks and dings when you're, when you're racing at a competitive level, um, especially on a rougher trail, things are going to happen. So like right now I'm, I'm cutting it close, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's an interesting, That's an interesting thing that mushers are up against is that certain certain folks have a, a deeper pool, like you said. And and then, you know, you you started out kind of more on the minimally mole side as it is. You were kind of thin before you started. And then naturally the the season is probably gonna have some wear and tear on them. And then also, you know, just things happen along the way as well, I, I guess, right? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Um, and plus dogs are just going to get cut, you know, I mean, there's going to be some that show you weaknesses or this or that, or it just might be an off year or what have you. So, and then after Cusco, we had some kind of, we, we got a bunch of snow up here, a lot of wind, um, trails got all drifted in and they basically vanished. So, when I went and tried to put in new trails, they, uh, they're just kind of bottomless and no base to them because the snow's real dry. So nothing really set up. So I kind of dinged up some dogs trying to stretch them back out and get back into the rhythm of things. But I mean, that's just dog mushing. That's part of training. And we're, uh, trying to just make it work and get to the finish line or well to the starting line with, with 14 dogs, healthy ones. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, you mentioned something about how, you know, one of your dogs you realize is more of a mid distance runner. What does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? What is how, you know, like it just like, you know, that the dog doesn't have the, the stamina to do the, the longer distance race or the dog just won't slow down and wants to go super fast the whole time. Yeah, she's an extremely hard driver, um, and she's a athletic-wise. I mean, she's a phenomenal dog, but with attitude that she has, and she's just she always seems to injure herself, and usually due to overdriving. So, like, she's a great three hundred mile dog, and but usually she's a little sore and a little dinged up after them. And she just never really settles into that more. I did a rod traveling mode pace. And 
of course, after Cusco trying to stretch her back out, she was, uh, she was a little sore from that race and give time off and rest. And, but it's just something that was going to take more time. But by the time she was healed, she had already missed, you know, so many runs, so many miles and, you know, she's going to be behind the curb and I just don't see her making it, you know, too far into the Iditarod race. You know, she'd probably, make it to the Yukon and probably be, you know, having to drop her there. Understood. Okay. Um, and then just within that race, there were a couple of things that stood out to me. Was there, did you, was there anything else that like kind of, you know, teams wise that stood out to you uh, in relation to anyone that may be in Iditarod or just, you know, like I'm seeing Brent kind of down more towards the, the bottom half and that to me is kind of a little bit surprising do you have any thoughts so on anything I, there i mean i know brent took um he had some younger dogs in there um he also had some some veteran dogs and you know some of his uh championship i did a rod like morello and, um i know she was in the team uh, or um but it, with those younger dogs and, you know, maybe he just had a race at a different pace than what he probably wanted to. Um, obviously Brent's always got a great team and, um, I I think he ended up finishing strong. Um, but he, I don't know if it was his, uh, I don't, I don't want to say he brought his A team to the race, you know, uh, that's obviously going to play a factor in his placing and at the Cusco, I mean, everybody's bringing their best. Everybody's racing. I mean, I think Brent went out trying to be competitive on that first run for sure. I mean, I don't think you, you run at the speeds and get out front um, right away. If you're not trying to be competitive, no matter what team you got. So I think he went into the race, um, trying to be competitive and trying to press the pace uh but with maybe younger dogs and not as much depth in the team is like let's say if you brought his a team you know he, they just weren't able to you know sustain a uh a winning level pace and plus that trail just it it got pretty tough after Kalskag. so i mean that that trail ended up blowing a lot of teams up okay Gotcha. That's just interesting. Uh, interesting to kind of just see that, you know, you're used, I guess I'm used to seeing them more at the top of the pack, but that makes more sense and not having the A team and the conditions and all of that. So um, for sure. I mean, like I took a young team up there of two year olds last year, two and three year olds. And I mean, that is a, that is a tough race for a young group of dogs. Sure. And, and mentally you know, and, and physically, of course, too. So, um, that's just, and then you throw in a bunch of overflow and deep snow and, uh, seven mile an hour trail, six mile, just slogging through things. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be taxing on a dog team. Absolutely. And you know, it was funny. So Sean and I, we, the week of that race, Sean and I were pretty busy. 
but we checked in at one point and you know i was following along you and i was cheering you along and i was like you're you're at the top of the pack and and uh and talk to sean he's like dude pete pete kaiser has it in the bag dude and i was just like why do you why do you say that and he was just like you know he he knows he knows the area so well it, it's he sean was just so confident that pete was gonna win and uh you know just do you have any comment about you know s- s- the benefit of having a race in in your backyard and having won oh, it shit. so many times and all of that I mean, it's definitely huge. Um, I think it plays a major advantage, but I mean, you can't take anything away from Pete because Pete has a world-class dog team. Um, and he's, he's a heck of a dog man and a dog driver. And just kind of for that trail, whether it's hard and fast or when it got, when it set up and it was just really rough, I was watching his dog team travel. Same with Matt Thaler, and they have a um, they have a similar breed. Um, you know, it's basically old Jeff King lines, and then um, uh, Matt Thaler he's has old Jeff King lines crossed in with uh, Boozer lines. You know, so these dogs are extremely athletic, and they're really light footed. And I was just watching them just when Matt passed me and, you know, my dogs were wanting to go 10, 10 and a half, 11. I mean, the, the speed and the, the spunk and desire and all that was there, but it just did not look comfortable. And these guys were just traveling over this rough shitty trail. Like, like it was nothing. So, I mean, you gotta, you can't take anything away from the, from, you know, Pete and his dog team um, because, they're they're definitely championship quality but being in your own backyard and going home is a is a a big advantage for sure definitely and another thing that i'm glad that you brought matt Faylor's name up um he seemed to have a really strong second half of the race if i recall um he kind of made like a, a really big push there and that just was something I wanted to ask you about. Just, you know, he, you know, him and Sean had, had, a had an experience together at the Iditarod. So, you know, there's some love there and um, you know, I'm just, just curious to see what maybe he has in the bag in store for us for the Iditarod, you know? Yeah. I mean, Matt, he's a, he's a Cusco champ and he's won it and he's been in the top three for, I don't know the past how many years, but basically when you're looking at the Cusco roster before the race, you figure it's going to be Richie Pete and, and Matt Thaler. Like those, those have consistently been the top three finishers over, you know, I don't know the past four years at least. So, you know, Matt has a good team. He has that race figured out. He um, was definitely conservative in the front half, which, you know, is always a benefit. And he was able to get those guys rolling and he was basically untouchable. You know, I mean, he, he, he closed the gap on Pete. It, 
in the end, it wasn't enough, but he did a, he had a heck of a finish. So I think Matt's got a really good dog team. As far as Iditarod goes, he, I don't think Matt's had a top 10 finish. Um, I don't really know why, or if he likes to just kind of take Iditarod at a more casual pace, or if it's something that he doesn't quite have figured out or what have you, I, I really don't know, but I know the dog team is there and Matt is obviously a capable and talented dog driver as well. So, um, I'm not really sure what's been his, uh, setback. Sure. You know, one thing that's maybe we'll see something this year, you know? Right. One thing that stood out to me in the first podcast is like your knowledge of the field is just so incredible. Like you're just, you just on a whim, we're talking about Matt and you're like, you know, I guess he's, so I guess you could say he, his more of his success has happened in the mid distance races, as opposed to the longer distance races. Right. For sure. I mean, he's, he's obviously had a lot of top 20 finishes and I mean, that's, that's, um, you know, finishing in the top 20 and I did a rod is a, is a great accomplishment. Hope I'm, I'm hoping I'll be able to do it. Sure. Uh, but I guess when you look at a musher that's been in it for, if you're being a hard critic, you know, um, or an analyst of the sport and you're trying to pick, Hey, who's, who's going to win this race or who's got the best shot. You're kind of looking at those guys that have, consecutively been in the top 10 okay or top five so like sure. i guess when you ask me you know hey what do you think like matt's gonna bring to the table well it's he hasn't yet had a top 10 finish um and that's no knock on him either um because he's a talented dog driver like i like i said and he's got the dog team to do it but there's been something with i did a rod where whether it's just been a personal choice of where he likes to maybe sit back and just enjoy the trail and cruise to Nome a little more, um, or it's maybe a confidence thing, or he just doesn't quite have the mid distance or the long distance thing figured out, or it's a sleep depri- deprivation problem, you know, could be a number of things. So that's why I just am unsure i guess with with matt being up there is a is a contender but definitely well i I appreciate the i appreciate the detail there man you like i said your (laughs) your knowledge is great and and i love that i can ask a question like that and you you can provide such such more depth to it so i appreciate that um i did want to move on to the yukon quest and just kind of like get Uh your quick feedback there my you know for me personally i felt like brent ran away with it um Definitely. you know he feel i felt like a majority of the time he was always a uh, one run ahead of of the rest of the people chasing him um and at different times that was a that was like two through six was all like at different times i felt like chasing him um but i don't know did you thoughts there I mean, I think Brent ran a really intelligent race. I think the way he broke up um, Birch Creek, or I call it Bitch Creek, um, I think he, he 
he executed that really well. I mean, he just, he, he ran a smart race and he was able to, you know, have that cushion early on where it was comfortable for him. And I felt, I, I felt like it was almost not fair giving him the one hole, you know, like he never, it, he never had to pass anyone from the get go. Yeah. You know, so he just, he got that established that cushion early and he was just able to kind of coast along and no one was able to, I guess, put that pressure on him. And I think that's one thing that someone will have to do. And I did a rod or in any race, if they're trying to beat Brent, you have to put the pressure on him. If not, he'll, he's in his comfort zone and he can just cruise along. Sure. So, um, I think you ran a great race. He obviously has a really hardened, just tough veteran dog team. Brent knows that trail. Um, his dogs know the trail. Um, so he, he just, he executed everything nicely. I was extremely impressed with Amanda though, making that, making that push all the way to Nannerville over a hundred mile run, you know, and her dog team looked phenomenal. I mean, those, she definitely a well-earned uh, vet choice award there. Um, I actually went down to the checkpoint and watched her come in and they looked, that dog team looked really good. I love hearing that. I love hearing that we had her on and uh, I know she was excited. That was kind of like her big race of the season. So, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like she really, as you like to say, she really pulled the hook there and yeah, she sent it. She sent that you shit, know, she, dude. She ran a, a very conservative uh, first half of the race, but obviously that rest um, paid dividends and you know, that uh, that's what allowed her to have such a strong looking team and to do a hundred mile run nonstop and dogs come in on fire. I don't know. She must've, I don't know how much meat she put down on the ground when they first came in, but I mean, these dogs devoured it. I never seen someone snack so much <laughs> when a dog team rolls into a checkpoint, those dogs like cleaned it up. Wow. So yeah. Yeah. They looked really good. That's good for her. That's good for her. I hope that she gets an opportunity to get back to the, I did rod in the, in the near future, you know? Yep. Yeah, no, she really showcased what that dog team can do. So um, she should definitely have the confidence as a musher and in her dog team to to really compete at the at the highest level. And that has to be pretty cool to have Jeff Jeff handled for her in that race, correct? Yeah, she had a she had a crew out there um, and uh, a few others helping her out as well. Yeah, uh, I think what Sean. Sean has introduced me to Tara. I'm, I know yep. that she was part of the crew, and I think I saw pictures of someone else that I'm not as familiar with. Yeah, but... Tara was there, Jeff. So um, you could tell Jeff was pretty excited. Nice. That's awesome. I hope that it works out for her to stay there and continue that mentorship kind of, you know, it's like, I guess you're – you know, how hands, how hands on is uh, Aaron been lately, you know, as you're kind of winding up, gearing up here for, for the Iditarod. I mean, not. Is he still like fully retired, you know, or. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's been, 
you know, Aaron spent time with family. He's retired and that's something I respect. And so of course he's a phone call away if I need anything, but I mean, as far as being hands-on, uh, he, it, that's basically non-existent, you know? Um, well, I meant more, more from like a consultant standpoint. I mean, like you're about to, you're about to get ready for your first I did or I'd ever, you've never done this distance of a race and yep. you know, he's obviously you're running, running his dogs. And so I, I'm just curious, you know, like as you prepare, how much are, are you in his ear or is this more of like you and Tony are kind of putting this together or is this just more Eddie B is doing the thing and figuring it out on his own? Um, I, you know, I, I wrote a schedule before I did drop bags. Of course, when, when you're doing your drop bags, you got to kind of have a, a rough idea of, of where you're going to go and what your run rest ratio is going to be. Um, so you know what to pack on those runs. So I kind of, I'm not much of a schedule guy um, because then I, I, I think too many times people get fixated on going from like one destination to another. And I'm more so kind of run my dogs is obviously um, the dogs and what's in front of me, the trail conditions, and I go by the hours. So that kind of, that clock is really dictates when I'm, when I'm pulling over or pulling the hook. So, um, but I, I wrote a schedule. I told Tony, Tony goes, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And, um, Aaron, he asked me, he, he, I talked to him on the phone and, he uh he asked me what I was doing and you know he didn't like all of it um but you know I think he thought overall it was a uh, a good schedule so he he made some suggestions and of course I'm gonna take all those seriously and definitely consider them and that was basically that so as far as I guess input and this and that I mean it's pretty minimal but I think he trusts me and my abilities and obviously this is something that I just kind of want to do as well on my own I mean getting advice and that's always nice and helpful and I'm always willing to be a sponge and always trying to learn Uh, but also I'm not like trying to have someone just do everything for me and write my schedules and uh, tell me how to train the dogs and all those things. So, um, okay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's just kind of been uh, uh, like, I guess, like you put it in Eddie B show. And then um, of course, (laughs) but with some consulting with Tony, you know, Tony's been the one that I've, I've been more using as a mentor this year. Okay. Gotcha. And, and, you know, I want to go back. You kind of talked about, so just in general, you, you wrap up, um, you wrap up your race and then now you're, you're shifting onto, you're shifting onto training, you know, long distance, 
right? Yep. And so you're in this transition. And I kind of want to talk about that. And you also talked about the drop bags. So uh, I guess you just finished the drop bags. They were they were due, what, a few days ago or something? Yeah, just just basically a few days ago. So that was um, just that was can you, of crunch time. <laughs> can you just I know, I know I, I kind of I could I could get that i got that vibe from uh you posted that one photo on instagram and i could tell you're just like fucking hey man this is this is yeah this is getting out of hand um can you, kind, <laughs> can you kind of paint a picture though you know like i don't for the folks that don't live in alaska or that aren't as seasoned with having you know been in this in this mushing scene you know can you please just explain what goes into that you know i don't think people fully understand uh the that whole process it sounds honestly sean talked about doing it and it sounds fucking stressful dude and i'm thinking of your setup where it's from from what you said in the first time we spoke it sounds like it's literally all you. So I'm just like, I mean, I know Tony's there, but it sounds like it's still mostly you. So for, for sure. Um, and like I said, those guys are always willing to help. Um, but I'm a little stubborn as well. And I, I just like doing shit by myself. So that might be kind of a personal problem of mine. But um, as far as drop bags go, I sent out 2000 pounds worth of i guess dog food and personal food and gear you know everything i guess what i feel that i need to get to know majority of that weight is dog food so you have to imagine one you need a i guess kind of have a rough idea of where you're running to, you know, checkpoint to checkpoint, what checkpoints are you blowing and what you need on each leg of the race. So every bit of kibble needs to be bagged individually, whether you do, you know, eight pound bags of kibble or five pound bags of, you know, whatever your people's preferences are. So all the kibble has to be individually bagged for each run of the race um every snack along the way has to be cut sliced and bagged um every booty has got to be bundled and bagged all your personal food has got to be put together for each run you know any sort of vitamins you might want for yourself any little candies treats and then of course your meals um and it just, the list goes on extra gear, extra runner plastic. Um, <laughs> Good Lord, man. It, it's just, and you have to think through it and you're trying to plan ahead and you're trying to be like, okay, well, I know this run from here to here, it's going to be rough. It's going to be, you know, maybe bare ground or lots of gravel or so I'm going to need a, another set of runner plastic at this checkpoint, you know what have you, or I'm going to be camping on this run or this run here is going to be a 10 hour run. So I need this, you know, this many snacks or what have you. So it's just all the shit you're trying to play through your head and kind of 
prearrange for. So, is there also like a strategy to how you pack those things within the, the actual drop bag? Yeah, I mean, some of it's kind of a a struggle to fit, especially your twenty fours. Um, I mean, but, are you? Is it like? Do you only have? I feel like you you. If I recall, I feel like I saw some videos where certain mushers have multiple options at certain stops. Is that correct? Is there like a limit to what you can have at a stop or anything like that? How does that work? So most checkpoints, they give you three bags. And then like I was shorted a few bags. Like I only got two for McGrath and, you know, two for this one and whatever. So, um, but for the most part, everything can fit in three bags. Um, the, the really only time you need three bags is on your 24s. But when you're trying to pack like maybe extra dog coats or blankets and things like that, that's where like, if you vacuum seal them and get them where they're, you know, compressed down really tight, obviously like that saves a ton of space. So things like that are very helpful. Um, so I guess that could be one of the strategies as far as packing and trying to get all that crap to fit. Each bag can only be up to 50 pounds as well. Okay. So that is, so essentially you can only have three up to three at each stop and each bag has to be 50 pounds or less. Correct. It's like you're on a, on a Delta flight or you're going on a, yeah. if, if it's over 50, you're going to be paying for that son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Shit out. <laughs> <laughs> um wow that's that's interesting and so you said 2000 pounds is what you prepared and sent out correct correct and and how much of that realistically you know percentage wise how much do you think you, you know you actually use because maybe there's certain depending on how this how how the conditions of the race present themselves to you you may not need 3 at one stop you may not need 2 like how much do you think you actually use of that? Well, I think majority of it, I mean, for the most part, I think I'll use a lot of it where the things that I won't use are like the extra stuff. I mean, there's a few extra items that I send to each checkpoint, you know, like, well, maybe it's going to be warm. So you got to kind of plan for the weather because I, I feed according to the temps. So, you know, maybe for a different kind of fat source, I send out a couple of different options or for trail snacks for warm weather, I'll send out a few different options and then cold weather, you know, of course as well. So there's just like a few extra items at each checkpoint that I might not use because of the weather. Um, and then, of course, I planned three 24s. So I gave myself the option to take my 24 in three different places. Ah, okay. All right. I'm not going to ask. You don't have to reveal your strategy. I'm sure the the folks that are like Iditarod season folks are like, well, that's either this place, this place, or this place. But we don't have to get into your strategy unless you want to talk about it. No, I mean, it, it's no big deal for me. Um, 
I guess I don't, I don't have a problem with people knowing what I'm going to do. <laughs> so uh, maybe that's ignorant, ignorant on my part, but uh, you know, I'll either. I mean, go- I know every single musher is going to be listening to this podcast before they had dinner out, right? Oh, for sure. So, I, I mean, mean, you know, just you know keep in mind, I know Brent is literally <laughs> listening to every single episode we put out. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Here's what I'm doing, you know. Uh, I don't think I'm on a lot of people's radars for a for a top competitive finish. But, dude, you're I'm I'm telling you right now, you're a fantasy pick for me on the on the fantasy mushing team or whatever it is. Well, I <laughs> well I appreciate that, but you know, you have when you look at the field. I mean, there's another ten mushers in there that are all top ten finishers and have prime age dog teams and that are very well capable of um, being right up front. So I think with those guys, you know, I'm kind of, I I don't think I'm looked as a, as a threat. So. Dude, that's why you're, you're, you're a value pick in the fantasy mushing world, bro. (laughs) But there's not, there's not like the high, there's not the high ticket marker on you. So it's like, all right, well, this is, this is easy money right here, bro. Yeah. You can get me cheap. Listen, I'm telling you, man, your track record speaks for itself. You have not performed poorly in any race you've entered. That's I, uh, yeah, I'd agree. (laughs) I'm just going to call it how I've heard it, how you've told these stories. I think the facts speak. Blah, 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 the facts speak for themselves, and so I th- I think that you know you talked about your goal. You're like top ten, top fifteen. I I based on what you've done, I think that that's reasonable, man. So I'm I'm rooting yawn and and uh, you know I think for me one of the biggest things that I think about for you is you know last time you you spoke about how the training shifts after um, your mid distance races, it, it shifts to the long distance training and, sure. and that's, that's on the dog end. But uh, what about for you, man? Like you've not done this. This is like what the winner does it in 10 and change days, maybe 11 days. You've not done that. Have you quicker than that? Um you know, I, I would expect this year to be a, a, a snowy race, a deeper snow year. So, I mean, it could, it could be a nine day race, but, um, I mean, the record is eight days and some change. Okay. Uh, so you're regardless at, though, I mean that anywhere from nine days, eight to 10 days. So, I mean, as far as to prepare myself for eight to nine days of, of mushing. I mean, that's, I think I have to go off of just basically everything I've done in the past, you know, three years of racing has prepared me to the best that it can. Um, because I can't go out and experiment or I guess, you know, duplicate Iditarod um, here in my own backyard or on training runs, you know, I mean, I can go out and I can camp and I can do 300 mile or 400 mile training series and, you know, do it all unsupported and basically just camping and sleeping outside. And, 
of course, that's a great learning experience, but that's only half the distance. So, I mean, I guess like the biggest thing I'm curious about and Sean kind of talks, he, he was, he hasn't talked about it much on the podcast yet. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the point where he talks more about his experiences, but he was sharing with me that, you know, like there comes a point where you're so sleep deprived that, you know, for, at least for him, the, there's a lot of like hallucinating going on. He's seeing things, he's hearing things. And (laughs) I'm just curious, you know, like, I think he's also experienced that in the mid distance races too. So maybe it's different for you than it is for him, but like, it's still like, man, that's, that's a long time, man. No, it is. And I'm going to get tired. I'm going to suffer from sleep deprivation. Um, There's no doubt about it. Everybody has to go through it and work their way through it. Some people handle it better than others. Um, I guess I will see how I handle it. I, I mean, I'm confident that I'll, I'll do well. Um, I think that I, so far in mid distance that I've, I've done well, like let's say the Cobuck 440, of course, we're, we're talking about, uh, a 72 hour race versus, you know, a, a nine day race. So it's, it's not comparable. It's two different worlds. Um, but people still get goofy in a, in a three day race and sleep deprivation is still a factor in a, in a couple day race, people get tired. And I mean, I feel like for those settings that I've, I've done well, um, I'm getting better at, you know, just going in and trying to take a nap and get off my feet for 20 minutes because I used to just stay awake for the entire time and maybe get 20 minutes of sleep for an entire race or like last year during the custom, I didn't even sleep once. I just stayed up the whole time. My God, dude. Are you like, are you, I don't know. Do you smoke cigarettes? Do you, do you like, how do you stay up? Are you housing down coffee, five hour energies? None of it. Uh, you're just like you're built like that, I guess. <laughs> Fucking built different, bro. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I think I'm just Alaska excited. strong. <laughs> I'm just, it's fucking adrenaline. I'm excited. I'm happy to be out there. Um, and there's a lot of guys that do it. So it's not like it's a, uh, a special thing, but and it's not a good thing to get in the habit of doing. Um, so, because there's always like a, a point in a race where I will get tired, you know, and I'll start kind of nodding out back there and it'll be like, it'll be on that last run, uh, whether it's to the finish line or coming into the final checkpoint. And it's like that 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. kind of mark. And I'll be nodding out back there for about, for, you know, two hours or so. And then you kind of work your way through it. and then you know, you're, you're back on step again. Do you have a, do you have a setup where you're sitting down? You have the no. ability to sit down or no? I have never ran a race with the tail dragger. Or a oh seat. my gosh. Beast mode. Do you have no, do you, are you locked in at any point? Like if you do kind of nod off, you're at least kind of like strapped in or something. I kind of loop my arm around the handlebar just in case. But um, other than that, no. So, but I mean, but, do you, 
you you fall you've fallen asleep behind, uh, while they're moving right uh you know like the quick little like head nod you know where you kind of like doze out for one second yeah I, I i've done that you know and then like you catch yourself and you're like oh shit and then you're back up and you you do a few of those and like i said it lasts for about an hour or so where you're kind of battling yourself and you work through it and then next thing you know you're feeling good again and you're going all the way to the finish line and and then you're you're motoring around so so i was gonna ask like related to kind of again we're talking about you and sleep deprivation but also applying it like are you kind of looking at it as like i'm just gonna kind of suck it up until i get to my 24-hour break my mando and then you just you kind of like use that mando as your recovery and then you know okay back half of that mando you're gonna suck it up until you have what is it? You have a twelve hour Mando in in White Mountain, or is it eight? Well, is yeah, it... you have an eight somewhere on the on the Yukon, and then you have an eight in White Mountain. So, I mean, I don't plan on. Obviously, there's there's some amount of sucking it up, but you have like I was kind of talking about earlier. You getting in the habit of just staying up is not going to cut it on a thousand mile race. So, I've been trying to get better just to get off my feet for like 20, 30 minutes in mid distance races and just like try to sleep, try to get a little power nap in. Um, you can guarantee from my first checkpoint um, to my first camp all the way into my 24, I'm going to be trying to get as much sleep as I can. Do you uh, have, do you have like a secret or do you have a, a way to like get to sleep, man? You know, like some people can't turn it off, you know? uh i'm kind of terrible at it and like that's what you know i was that's kind of what i was saying earlier um with me just staying up in these races you know i'm all excited and adrenaline and my mind's kind of going 100 miles an hour so it's hard to kind of crash out but that's something that i've been working on um and i think i'm to the point where i can and i've been working on that just camping um i've been going on these i just did a training series and you know that's just one thing whether i go out and i do a, a five hour run or a three hour run like i'm taking my sleeping bag out i'm getting you know laying down some straw my my uh, sleeping pad and i'm gonna try to like whether it's an hour i get or 20 minutes like i just been that's something that i've been working on and then do you have like backup alarm clocks for, I mean, again, you probably haven't needed it for your, your mid distance and shorter races, but you know, I think I remember Sean talking about it, maybe with Dallas about how you have different alarm clocks so that, you know, if you forget one, you have the other kind of thing. For sure. So, you know, of course, most people have their phone on the race um, and everybody's got a, uh, a Lupine, you know, battery pack where they can plug it into their phone. They have those adapters and you can keep your stuff charged. Um, so that's one thing I'll do. But then I do have like a secondary source for an alarm clock just in case. Got you. Got you. Um, and <clears throat> 
when it comes to being on on the the sled, like, are you just straight up on natural, so to speak, in terms of no music or anything like that? Or do you have stuff at points that maybe you break out and listen to? How does that work for you? Um, around here when I'm training, I'll definitely listen to music. I usually have my headphones in every run. When I go to a race, I don't listen to any music. Um, for some reason, I don't know. So for Iditarod, I, I didn't plan on listening to any music. So you're just at peace out there. Just listening to the, my self-reflecting and uh mother nature and dogs and all that good shit (laughs) nice i guess uh one question to ask when you are listening to music when you are doing the training runs what are you jamming out to bro what's your what's your uh what's your vibes dude the vibes vary um you know i listen to a, a, a yeah a good variety of music um, but I'd say like, if I had to pick one genre that is heavy on the playlist, it would be like rap, you know, okay. stuff that's pretty upbeat. And, um, that's usually what I'm listening to. And the dogs like it too. Nice. Speaking of They're the all- dogs. All right. Like I've been wait, I've been waiting to ask this question. Last time you talked about your lead dog blunt and oh. Dude, first of all, how's 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 Gwen doing, man? He's doing really good. He had a phenomenal Cusco, took us across the finish line, led most of that race. Um, yeah, he's just that guy's a superstar. He's he's a really talented dog, and he's the heart and soul of the team. Of course, I can't rely on on one dog, but he's he's definitely special. But he's doing well. He's um, healthy, ready for Iditarod for his first Iditarod. So I'm excited. And how old is Blunt? Blunt's five. He'll be six. He's going on six. That's prime. That's a prime age for for Iditarod for him, or is that? Like- yeah. Oh, he's he's in his prime. Um, you know, most five or six year olds have obviously been to Iditarod, but. When he was young, it was he made it very clear that he didn't really want to work for other people. So he's he's loyal. Just gonna, he's loyal to you, man. Yeah. So he hasn't done I did a rod, and he's just kind of been with me. And yeah, we'll 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 see how he handles the uh, the thousand mile circuit because he's been. Uh, uh, absolute unit and uh, in mid distance was he like chomping at the bit after the Cusco was he ready to roll yeah no he he did he did uh, he finished strong great attitude at the end and um, he was one of the more wild ones you know when we got when we got back to the dog yard and everything there in Bethel and he was raising hell and feeling pretty pretty macho afterwards so he he's got blunt has a good recovery time and he's got a great attitude so he's usually always pretty perked up 
For, you know, I'm just thinking back on a comment you made last in the last episode that you were on where you were talking about kind of getting close to uh, emptying the gas tank in, in some of the shorter distance races. In general, like uh, for your third place finish, you know, you mentioned that Blunt was ready to go when you got back to the yard and all of that. Like you didn't, it, does, it sounds like you didn't have to like necessarily empty out the tank too much to still get that third place. No, I, when I left Tulisac, you know, I had a decent cushion between myself and, um, oh, what the heck's his name? Jacob. Wake yeah and i knew i just needed to keep my team moving steady that's all we had to do and we were more than capable the team was more than capable of doing that so um cut out there i think i'm losing no I'm losing. no you're good you're good i uh, mean i lost you on video but it's all good so we were in a position where my team looked good pulling into Tulisac. So I, I knew there wasn't going to be an issue on that, on that last run. Like I said, I was um, holding them down a bit as well on that run into uh, Tulisac just due to the rough trail conditions. It, that's right. I mean, I, that's right. Yeah. I think if I would have been trying to race Pete and Matt, and run at those speeds i would have definitely dinged up like another four dogs and it would have been a a rough go for me um so leaving Tulisac, i felt pretty confident on a third place finish um i let them stretch out to you know 10 and a half 11 miles an hour when the conditions allowed it they still had that kind of juice in the tank um but just basically let them cruise at at whatever pace they wanted to all the way to the finish line. So that final run wasn't too taxing of a run. Of course, we are racing at a high level. It is the Cusco. There's only 10 hours of mandatory rest. I mean, you're going to have a dog team that's definitely been raced, but they're not driven into the ground by any means. Right. Okay. And then, I guess bringing it back to we were talking about blunt. Do you have any other dogs that you want to kind of highlight? Do you have maybe one other one that you want to talk about? Just share a little bit more about one of your other leaders, or maybe you have a strong, you know, kind of back end of the, the pack dog. I don't know. Um, I shit, man. I, I'd want to talk about all of them. Cause I, I, <laughs> I think they're all pretty, uh, pretty special dogs. Um, they all have their unique talents and personalities. Um, one of the other main leaders that I've, that I've trained since they were pups, his name's Nate. And he ran in lead start to finish on the Kinnick. And, you know, we had a, we had a great finish there, obviously. And he, he's a really talented dog. Uh, Blunt's kind of trained him up and he's become like a, a younger Blunt. Uh, there's also blunt son Swenson. He's kind of like a blunt junior as well, but I've always kind of referred to him as like, he's like the cheap Mexico knockoff version of blunt. 
<laughs> you know, he's just like not quite as handsome. He's not quite as smart, but like, you know, to maybe the untrained eye, you'd never know the difference. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. He's, but he's, he's phenomenal. He's a little more of a meathead, you know, it's just like point him in the right direction and he's, he's full steam ahead. But, uh, and uh, most of the dogs in the team run lead. Um, so that's another nice thing to have. And then, of course, there's those dogs from Aaron's and Tony's teams over the past couple of years. And they're kind of a whole nother breed. And they also have like a different attitude to them, um, different personalities them they're kind of you can tell like they're just these hardened veteran badass dogs and there's what i think about six of them nice so you got a little you got a nice little mix of uh of personalities it sounds like for sure and you know it's like you got these six you know six veterans um that have been across the trail and then you have the remaining amount of the group which are you know the ones that i've been raising and training up over the past three four years and you know it's going to be their first iditarod and first thousand mile race but i think the the talent is there so We've talked about sleep deprivation for you and applying yeah. it to this this longer distance race. I'm also kind of curious about in a race setting, what are some of the more difficult conditions that you've experienced? Is there anything that like stands out to you about like a, an oh fuck moment maybe or just like, you know, have you ever been close to maybe thinking about, okay, maybe I need some assistance or anything like that? I haven't got quite to that point. Um, I mean, I think with all the racing that I have done and at the level of races that I've, you know, competed at, I, of course, you're going to encounter some difficult situations. Um, you know, I've encountered overflow and been in chest to neck deep water and um, I've been, in a, I guess, kind of storm that was up to, they said like 70 to 80 mile an hour winds, um, which are, that's ripping pretty good. Um, it was picking our, my dog sled up off the ground and blowing us off the trail. So those were, those were, um, those were good, you know, experiences. And of course, all these difficult situations you, you learn from, um, and I've been in other kind of stormy and shittier trail conditions and, um, you know, where, yeah, we have gone through water and fallen through the ice and, uh, you know, that stuff is never fun for, for anyone involved, but, you know, we, we dogs trust me and we always make it out and they're always happy in the end and we just keep on motoring. But so, I mean, I, I, I think I've, touched on some of these uh difficult experiences but i mean 
I don't know. You never know what you can encounter out there. Mother nature can always surprise you and slap you in the face. So do you ever like when you're setting up your different, maybe your series or your training runs, do you ever purposely seek out shitty conditions? Well, one of the main things for a lot of these training series is you want it to be positive and you want the dogs to come back healthy from it as well. Um, I like to use more of my hard runs or anything that might be maybe a little, a little more stressful, um, to be in the races. Um, as far as training series goes, I, I like things to be, you know, on a safe trail, um, safer conditions and make it more of a positive experience because the dogs are tough. They're in shape. They don't need to prove anything to me. I don't need to prove anything to them. Um, I know what they can do. So for me, it's not really about that. Um, now, you know, like on this training run, there was an area of trail that had like eight inches of, of fresh snow and no one had groomed it. Well, I definitely wanted to get my dogs out there and get them to pick up their feet and learn to run through that and learn to break trail and not really learn, but just a reminder. And um, so, you know, like I'll do something like that, but I know that there's a good base under that, you know, eight inches of snow. They're not going to be like walling around and falling through and, you know, pulling triceps and stuff like that so I guess that's kind of more of my mindset when it comes to these training series or camping trips gotcha right on man uh so what would you estimate because I'm sure you don't well I guess maybe you do you travel with uh like a thermometer on you yeah yeah I got one on my sled what would you say is the coldest conditions you've trained in or been in, in a race? I have on the quest, it was, um, 55 below. And I heard someone say it got down to 58 below, but I mean, I think it's all kind of the same. So what's after, that, what's that like after 35 below, it all kind of feels the same. Um, it's, I mean, I was fairly warm. I camped in, uh, I camped in that weather as well. So it's, there's nothing comfy about it, but you're, you're comfortable enough. And I think that just comes to the right gear and not being stupid. <laughs> right. That's, um, that's fucking crazy, man. Like, but. I mean, you're not getting quality sleep in that condition at all at any point, right? No, in 55 below, you're more so probably pacing around just to stay warm. Okay, so you're not even thinking about sleeping <laughs> if you're at a stop, and it's that's the conditions. Yeah, yeah, that's um, and yeah, I don't, I don't prefer it. <laughs> sure. But, you know, I mean, it's just, it's part of dog mushing and part of racing. So it's um, one of the things we have to deal with. So it's, it's kind of, oh, well, this is what we have to do. But 
I mean, yeah, I think I have a fair enough amount of, you know, different experiences and tougher environments and tougher trails and um, tougher races with good competition and things like that to prepare me is, you know, at a pretty good rate. So I'm not, I'm I'm not like, I'm not stressing out about it that I'm not going to be personally able to, to, you know, get through it and get to the finish line. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Like, man, I know it'll be tough. I know there's going to be moments where I'm probably like, what the hell am I thinking? You know, why am I out here? I'm sure I'll have a couple of heady moments. Um, but I, I, I believe in myself to, to, you know, work through it. I love it. So you're not, it doesn't sound like you're very, mm, I don't, like you don't seem intimidated. You're, you're up for the challenge. It kind of is how I, I perceive it. Is, is that like, is that what your feelings are kind of going into things? Yeah. Um, I'm aware of the challenges a hundred percent. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound like, you know, I, I just think I'm going to go out there and I'm going to crush it and it's going to be easy peasy. Um, I think I'm pretty self-aware of the, the challenges that this race will bring. Um, but I'm confident in my abilities and I'm confident in the dog's abilities. And I think we'll, we'll work our, our way through it. So, and it's just, every race has a challenge and that's just part of mushing. And that's what makes it fun. If, you know, you go to a race and it's just a perfectly groomed trail and it's nice and sunny and everything's perfect. Like, of course it's nice, but it's almost like, well, without a challenge, what's the fun in that? You're just like, I guess that's the natural Alaskan built into you or something like <laughs> well, I think that's a lot of mushers you know I think that's just we wouldn't be doing this we wouldn't be in this sport you know if 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 we didn't like a challenge if we didn't like being miserable because there's a lot of miserable moments in this sport sure but but I guess I'm like I'm thinking of I remember Sean in the last episode was like he was like I start the race and I'm like yeah I'm gonna win this motherfucker <laughs> And then he's like, and then 40 miles down, I'm like, all right, I'm feeling good. And that's the, like, that's, you know, I feel like that might be the difference in someone who is born in Atlanta, Georgia, and is not Alaska hardened or just not even, it doesn't have to be Alaska hardened, but hasn't, you know, we don't have true winners down here. So we'll start there, you know, and it's not like Sean was in, in like boy scouts or anything like that so it's not like camping and all that necessarily comes naturally now i will say in his time in alaska he's he's figured it out but uh like it's it's unique to hear like you're you're just like oh this is you know this is the next challenge whereas you know for sean i want to believe it was like i got to figure out a way to survive this and get to the end you know yeah, I, I, I'm sure there. Are, you could probably interview several other rookies, and they're they're they might have the same mindset as me. 
Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. And I'm sure you could probably go back and, you know, ask how some of these other veteran mushers were on their, their first Iditarod and what their mindsets were going into it. And I think like the guys that are competitive, um, highly competitive, you know, um, I think you probably have a similar mindset to what I'm going through right now. It's just like, all right, we know it's going to be tough. We know there's going to be these challenges, but we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to working our way through it, working the dogs through it. And it's just kind of part of the fun and part of the experience. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So slight shift here. Um, I am curious. I feel like Sean mentioned that in certain in certain section of sections of the race some teams will switch sleds yeah is that something that you have anticipated doing or what's what's the what's the thought process there i will send out a second sled to mcgrath just in case i you know destroy mine going through the gorge um that's been known to happen it easily happened to me um that's a rough rough section of trail so might as well be prepared and send out a a second sled so but that's more as a backup sled that's not like uh i guess for me i don't know enough i'm not knowledgeable enough to talk about the different styles of sleds but i know that maybe as you get to the coast and you maybe are getting a smaller dog team there might be a more bare bones kind of setup um that's not something you anticipate using so i think there are guys that will like jesse royer for example she takes a dandler through the through the gorge every year you know for the first half of the race she takes this dandler um i guess long distance sled and it, it it's a lot better handling and steering sled and then i think she switches to another one um there's someone like Aaron, he used to run a Snorri sled, which is it's a Norwegian sled, very similar design to the Dandler. It's got stanchions that steer the runners, and it, it's a it drives like a Cadillac, but it's I wouldn't say it's built for speed. They're kind of low to the ground. There's a lot of drag with all those little stanchions on the runners. So, you know, he he used to switch to a different sled after um, after he would get through that section. So at, once he got to McGrath, he would switch switch sleds. Um, and then going on throughout the race, a lot of guys will start to ditch, you know, their their trailer. Whether they start to ditch that, depending on trail conditions, you know. Um, but I think a lot of guys have definitely ditched their trailer by by Caltag, you know, when they start to work their way up the coast and that's when the race really starts and you got guys that are ditching their, their, uh, tail draggers and Caltag or Unicleat and, um, lightening up their sleds in any way possible. Nice. I love it. So I mean, I, I think I'll definitely, I'll definitely ditch my, my tail dragger somewhere on the coast. If I have uh, a race on my hands. Okay, man, I'm getting excited. Are you, are you like, are you at the point in your training where you're, you're kind of winding down now and 
you know, you, you're, you're, you're the, <laughs> the big headache of the, the drop bags is now taken care of. And you, now you're like, okay, the lights at the end of the tunnel, the race is almost here. Or is there still kind of a lot of stressful bullshit that you got to kind of behind the scenes stuff that maybe there, we take for granted. There are still some of this lingering bullshit. Definitely. Uh, like when I was on my, my camping trip my sled bag broke so then i was calling around scrambling trying to because i don't have an extra sled bag um and it's all ripped to shit so i needed someone that could sew that up so it's like i'm scrambling around and then now i'm i just had to take that off and then had to get it clean so um it didn't clog up the sewing machine for the guy that's doing it. And then it's like, I got to drive into Fairbanks tomorrow after I go and do like a 50 to 60 mile run and deliver that. And there's some paperwork and some other little things for, I did a rod that I got to send in and tie up a few loose ends. And there's some other little repairs to, to shit that I got to do on my sled and gear and things like that. There's, you know, the list goes on. Yesterday it snowed and the wind was ripping. So our trails disappeared. So like after I do this, I got to go out and groom trail. Um, so it, it just seems to never really end. And I don't think I'm going to get that like peace of mind moment until like I'm, I'm there in Willow at the starting line. Because literally <laughs> as you're listing all these things, I'm like, why? why am I taking more of your time away from like all these things, all these things you have to do and you're doing it all by your damn self. And I'm just like, if, if, if I were to replace you and, and plop Sean in right now, Sean would be, his anxiety would be through the roof. And, you know, let's, let's just go here for a second, like, and talk about mental health, you know, like how the fuck, are you doing this by yourself, man? Um, you know, and I, like, I, I don't want to take all the credit because uh, that I'm just doing it by myself. I mean, yes, there are a lot of things that I am I am doing by myself, 100%. But, you know, I, I have Tony and he, he's, he's willing to help me out in any little way possible. So, I mean, and, and, and that's huge. But as far as mental health goes, I don't know. I think it was like my years of uh, wrestling and boxing that taught me mental toughness, like fucking beyond anything else. And so when I was, I guess when I was wrestling and boxing, it was like anything seemed easy because I used to just basically torture myself every day, every week, month after month, you know? Yeah whether it was the training, the, the, the discipline, the weight cutting, just getting the shit kicked out of you every day. It was a brutal lifestyle. And I lived that for a while. Like I, I wrestled from junior high all the way through my senior year in high school. And I was, I was um, definitely, you know, I, I wrestled all four years out of varsity at a varsity go level. ahead and say it eddie you were a stud and you're really good come on go ahead and admit I wasn't, it i wasn't <laughs> you know I, I wasn't anything exceptional but i i was a good wrestler 
And what, what, what weight class were you? I think my senior year I was 140. Oh man, you are a tiny dude, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, and I'm probably almost down to the same weight. I'm five nine, and Holy when I'm not, crap. when I'm not mushing, I'm probably like 165 pounds or so. Okay. You'll probably come, uh, you'll probably weigh in after the Iditarod about a buck 30, man. You'll probably lose at least 10 pounds, right? Probably. Yeah. I, I would assume so. And then, but, you know, with, uh, yeah, with those years, and then I got into boxing, and I was really dedicated and serious about that. And, um, I mean, I used to eat, breathe, sleep, fucking boxing. and. I was down in that gym sparring and fighting. I was down at the Egan center, like every Thursday fighting. And I was in high school when I started, I was 17 years old and I went down there and lied about my age and, um, <laughs> bought a 35 year old army sergeant, some Samoan dude. And, um, that was my very first fight actually. And yeah, I was still in high school and, uh, from that moment on, you know, I was, I was hooked. And then, so I was just, that's all I did, you know? So you wrestled, you grew up in Alaska, you boxed. I mean, you're, you're just a hardened dude, huh? I don't, I mean, don't gas me up like that, but you know, it's just, uh, those, those sports definitely teach you mental toughness and a lot of self-discipline. And, you know, when you're getting the shit kicked out of you for, for fun, there's probably something wrong with you. So maybe that's all factor. <laughs> yeah, I guess I just, you know, like, I'm impressed, man. I, I really, how, remind me your age. I'm 33. You're 33. Wow. You know, I I can't help as you describe like what, some of your you know your past like sounds a little bit similar to dallas you know he was big into wrestling right yep. and uh that kind of I, I feel like probably was a great i'm obviously he grew up in into mushing but that mm -hmm. that obviously helps the pedigree right there and so uh just kind of it's nice to hear your story, man. And, uh, it helps paint a good picture. And yeah, like, I, I think that's something like Dallas, if you, if you probably sat down with him and talked to him, you know, he, he definitely, or I would assume that wrestling definitely played uh, a big role in his ability to just get out there and grind. You know, I mean, I think Dallas is, uh, an extremely mentally tough person he has a ton of drive he's self-disciplined like the guy's the guy's like a machine and yeah. um you know as a wrestler i think you know he he was like a all-american state champ he was all that he he was on a different level i was more of a uh ranked top three in the state but i wasn't going around Don't under dude come on you know, don't, like don't undersell sell yourself here. Come on now. There's there's levels to that shit, you know. And when you're like a college level wrestler, I mean, that's like a different breed of a of a human. And like that yeah. shows Dallas. That shows in his mushing. Like 
and people that wrestle like they 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 understand it it's like oh you wrestle like okay i i know you you got it together between the between the ears <laughs> fucking right you do um so applying this to mushing are you the kind of person that like are you running at certain points as you're out there on behind the sled are you pulling it all or are you just kind of yeah. letting the dogs do their thing shit man it's a team sport so i'm i'm helping in every way i possibly can um any little hill any little river bank that we climb up i'm i'm running um and the dogs like it and they'll always get up on step and of course like i'm not as in nearly good a shape as i used to be in so i start to hurt and get pretty sore there after a few days of it um so i'm gonna have to be a little more choosy on my running and kicking as far as like you know what i what i do in mid distance because i'll i'll probably fall apart by by the time i hit my 24 but <laughs> i yeah i i like to run i like to help i like to kick um especially like in mid distance you know it's just kind of like well you go it's time to drop the hammer and just go full throttle and so any little hill deep snow all that i'm i'm contributing as much as i can and let me just go back real quick i feel like when i was like oh man you're a small little guy so i mean sean i'm sean's brother and i'm literally his his big brother so you know i'm six two six three 230 so that's what my perspective is just like when you say five nine i'm like oh man like i yeah i just i only know you through this damn screen so you know like on the screen i'm like you know you look you look like a big guy because there's no perspective right now but um so i didn't mean any disrespect by that i just wanted to follow back up no, on that <laughs> no and i'm uh, yeah i'm a i'm a i guess uh, uh on the smaller scale for sure but yeah, so, so no offense taken there. Nice. But yeah, you and your brother, you guys are like, uh, you know, built like Vikings. You guys are tall. Yeah, Sean, you know, I'm, I'm like the, uh, the hefty version of Sean. Sean's like the, the 30 to 40 pound version <laughs> lighter of me. But, uh, and, and then I have, I have the hair that's falling out and Sean has that luscious, you know, long Goldilocks, not Goldilocks, but he's got those curly, curly hair like you got, man. Dude, I got to say, man, and, you know, the hair looks good, man. I saw the picture the other day. I appreciate it. Yeah, my barber, she, uh, she, she took good care of me. Can we give your, can we give your barber a shout out? Who, who's your barber? Her name is Haley and uh, she, both of her parents own a barber shop in Anchorage. So any uh, Anchorage folks are any mushers uh, that roll into Anchorage need a good mullet or a, you know, good fade or something. Uh, ask for Haley at either flat, flat top barbershop or Northern lights barbershop. They're each of her parents um, own a barbershop and she works at both of them. So she's, she's talented. So you were in Anchorage for the haircut. Yeah. So that was related to the bag drops or what? No, I, I finished that camping trip. I, I think I finished my camping trip around midnight when I pulled into the dog yard, 1 a.m. 
fed dogs, put them away, went through feet, did all that bullshit. Left here like at 3 a.m., had a five and a half hour drive down to Anchorage. I took like an hour nap, um, went and picked my daughter up and hung out with her and yeah, just went down there to basically spend some time with her. That's nice. She stays with your, uh, with your parents, I guess. Uh, I guess with my, with my baby mama. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mom. Sure. Uh, but your parents, are your parents also in Anchorage as well or? Yes. Okay. Yes. Basically my, my family, they're all in Anchorage. Um, I got three sisters, so they're all there. Um, they, they're in them and their families. So I got a great family support system as well. Um, but yeah, my daughter's there. They try to take my daughter at all the, all the races and she'll be coming to Nome. So I'm pretty excited about that. Gosh, I know that's going to be emotional for you, man. Like first yeah. time, first time to Nome. Yeah. A, you'll have your daughter there. B, your family. That'll feel that'll feel really nice, man. You know, and I guess I don't want to like assume things in Nome because you never know. But, you know, if things go as as planned, that'll be a really special moment for you, man. I I definitely agree. I mean, even like the connect a small race like that. I, my daughter was there at the finish line and you know, we, we had a, a great finish and all and just seeing her and then hugging her. I ended up crying and <laughs> I was damn right. I, you did. I was an emotional mess, you know, so I, I can't even can't even fathom what it would be like to see her in Nome and, uh, you know, accomplish those goals because it's been a long time in the working and it's been a lot of blood sweat and tears over this not not just this past winter but you know the past three years and i'm sure there's there's some sacrifice on your end too man i mean you're you're in nanana and she's in in anchorage Uh, so that's a hundred percent there's um i mean i don't think any parent really enjoys being away from their kid um and you know, so I'm up here, she's down there, of course, you know, um, her mom and I, we have a, we have a good co-parenting relationship. So like she tries to bring her up here, um, or like meet me halfway in Talkeetna or something. And I go down there and pick her up for like a long weekend and she hangs up, you know, hangs out up here. So we do our best to try to get that time in and it's it's never easy and then of course there's there's a lot of other sacrifices that just go along with this sport but you know we're all doing it in some way shape or form um that's just i don't know it's part of the lifestyle it's it's uh it kind of consumes everything and it's leaves very little room for anything else Right. And that's, you know, the reason that I kind of wanted to touch on the mental health piece is, uh, you know, Travis Beals had had, you know, withdrawn and and I went over to his kennels uh, Facebook page and kind of just read through it. And it just sounds like sounds like 
you know, the, the, the tank is running on empty and at some point, like something's got to give, um, I don't know if you have any perspective on his situation or just if you ever like kind of feel run down or anything, or just thoughts on that situation in general, you know? You know, I, I don't know what, I mean, I can only, I guess, speculate, but you know, you got to look at, I can't imagine doing this let's i don't know how many i did rods travis's ran but i i know he's got a good 10 under his belt or so um and he's got a lot of a lot of top 10 finishes so when you're training a highly competitive dog team and you're doing that year after year let's just say for the past 10 years and you're doing races like you know, the Kinnick and then you go to the Cusco and then you go to Iditarod, you know, that's, that's a lot of racing, a lot of training, a ton of stress. And you're doing that year after year. I mean, for let's say 10 years, I mean, that's definitely, that would grind anyone down. Um, and, uh, you know, look at Dallas, he's, he's taken the year off. Um, because he needs to spend time with family and things like that. And he's taken years off in the past as well. Um, and you have several other mushers your, you know, he just, he just had a baby and he's taken time off. Um, and I think you can expect to see several other mushers doing that as well. And that's kind of one of the other things I know, Travis, he's, they're expecting a child, his wife, Sarah, um, they're going to be having a baby here. So I know he's really excited about that. So I think he's just probably maybe a little drained, a little stressed, a lot on his plate and probably, you know, trying to focus on more important things in life than, uh, just dog mushing like family. Yeah. I mean, he's got a, he's got <clears throat> 10 years, 10 years running straight of the Iditarod. So he's, He's probably a little. Uh, is, that the, is that accurate? Ten years. Did yeah, he, his first one was in uh, 2013, and uh, he ran up every year consecutively. Oh no, excuse me, he, he missed 17. So, okay. but still, he's he's ran nine. One, two, three, okay. four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, nine, and he's got two top ten, three top tens, a top. Uh, five being his best in 2019 so yeah so yeah i'm i'm happy for for travis i i hope he uh enjoys his uh his time off absolutely phone call coming in (laughs) oh but no we're good okay uh yeah so I, i i think you'll see even more mushers doing that you know i mean Richie just had a baby, Matt Saylor. He's got one coming. I mean, these are both guys that have put a lot of time year after year into Iditarod and dog mushing. It's been their entire lives. So, um, I, it wouldn't be surprising if, you know, these guys take a step back for a year or two just to kind of refocus and regroup. I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's a grueling thing to do. And, Sean, as as uh, you know, someone who started young and 
doesn't have too many things pulling him in a ton of different directions, it still was tough for him, you know? So imagine having a family and like, it, I just, I don't know. It sounds like it's a lot of work. So um, it is. And I like, that is the only, you know, uh, like when I was Greg Heister interviewed me and he asked if I, if I was just going to be like a, basically a, one hit wonder musher you know and just do i did a rod once and disappear um what did you and, tell him what'd you tell him <laughs> well i told him that you know no but you know when i i guess i think about that question and think about my future in dog mushing the only thing that comes up i guess that weighs against it like the first thing i think of is my daughter and then it's just kind of like, uh, that's the only thing that kind of like deters me. And it's like, how do I make this work? How do I, you know, balance this lifestyle out with also being a father? Right. Because now she's 10 as well. So, so she's what that's middle school, right? Getting close uh, to it. Fifth grade. She's fifth, in fifth grade. Yep. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of. Does she have uh Is she into any sports or is she into any uh like activities? Yep. So she did gymnastics for a number of years, and she was a pretty good little gymnast. She's uh, and then of course she uh she does some cheerleading, and she was just at cheer camp over um this past week, and then um she plays soccer as well, so she's um she's an active kid and of course i get a miss out on all that and when i'm there summer i try to be at every practice and event but uh, i only have six months to work and to make money so there's also that that that's kind of the other thing this lifestyle right remind remind us what you're doing to make money so I work as a project manager for a, for a paving and road construction company. So, you know, the summer months are obviously extremely hectic and busy. Um, yeah, that keeps my plate pretty full. And, and for the summer, are you, well, I'm sure you're probably on the road quite a bit, but are you based out of Anchorage or? Yep. I'm based out of Anchorage. Um, I'm traveling around job site to job site, you know, basically any, anywhere from Willow down yeah, for, to Anchorage. Um, now we have projects going on all over the state. Usually I just kind of stay in that little hub there. Um, but yeah, it's freaking hectic. I only got six months to make money and, you know, that's, this isn't a cheap sport to participate in either. So. So you work six months and that you're able to pay for all the costs and, and live yourself that like that, that, that stretches you enough for the year. That's. Yeah. So like that takes care of my, my, uh, you know, my house in Anchorage, my vehicles, you know, food and living expenses up here. Um, plus, you know, dog shit. And because, you know, I'm covering a, a, 
a good amount of expenses, I guess, when it comes to just the training in general to the two Iditarod, you know, I mean, as far as Iditarod goes, I'm covering every, every aspect of it. Um, so if you were to put a number on this season from the start of when you started training, which is what September, October. Yep. If you were to put a dollar amount on it by the end of the Iditarod, you will have out of your own pocket spent roughly. I'd say a good 30 grand. Wow. A solid 30. And then, so you won the Knick. How much was that? Even a little more. You won the Knick. How much was that? Uh, Knick was like four grand, 3,500. I think I won 13.5 at Cusco. Um, but the thing is, is with mid distance, I don't, I don't keep any of those, uh, those paychecks. I give those to Tony. Okay. So you don't, that doesn't even go back to, okay. That doesn't even go back to the money you've spent at that no, point. That money's gone. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yep. no. So I guess I'm asking all these questions and I, I don't mean to like, uh, thank you for being willing to, to openly talk no, about sure. that because I, I just want to paint a picture for those that are listening that this isn't cheap. And, um, you know, yeah, I guess <laughs> let's talk about your sponsors. Like how much, how much money or how much help are you getting from your sponsors? So I've definitely gotten some strong support from my sponsors and they're definitely helping a lot. Um, is that due to you? Is that due to um, the connection you have to Tony and Aaron? Uh, McKenna Brothers Paving, that's, um, I guess, due to the connection to me. Right. Uh, and they're extremely generous guys, and they've, they've helped me out a lot. My other sponsor is Alaska Seal Coating, uh, another um, longtime friend and business owner in Anchorage in the Anchorage area. And, uh, he's been very supportive of this. And then you got Northern air cargo, which is a kennel sponsor. And so Northern air cargo, they take care of our shipping needs. So when we travel to Bethel for the Cusco, they take care of the, the shipping cost. And when we travel to Kotzebue and when we fly the dogs out of Nome, they, they take care of those costs. So, um, that's one expense that the, the kennel's taking care of and, um, uh, due to that sponsorship. Nice. That's awesome. The, so like getting to Anchorage with all your dogs, is that something that you come out of your own pocket for, or is that also through the air, Northern no. air cargo? No. So we drive the dogs down, um, and the dog truck that I have, it gets about six miles to the gallon. Hey, now. So, uh, yeah, man, that thing is a guzzler. So uh, I don't even, I have to stop at every single gas station on the way and fill is that up. Cause of, is that just like, is it an old, older vehicle? Why is it, it so poor? It's, and... <laughs> it's an older Ford. It's got a 460 in it and the thing just drinks the fuel. Um, but you know, so it, it's an expensive trip. I think one way I probably spend like at least 500 in fuel. Got you. Wow. That's crazy. All right. Just so 
I feel like, like I said earlier, you are incredibly knowledgeable in the sport and you're very well spoken and I appreciate that. I also want to recognize that you have a shitload of stuff on your plate. And so I'm sure we're like, I think we're about an hour and 40 minutes in. So I don't want to like carry this on too long. Um, I have three more questions that I wrote down that I didn't get the answer to. (laughs) They're kind of, they're from, they're from different areas that we've discussed earlier. So they don't necessarily have to do with each other. The first thing I wanted to go back to is talking about the human food for what you have in the drop bags. What, what are you looking forward to eating out there on the trail? Are you like, I don't care what I eat as long as I have food or, you know, cause I mean, it's like it, you said it's eight to 10 days is what you're expecting. So like, you're going to get tired of some basic food, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I might, I, I mean, I, I think I'm a fairly simple, simple guy, you know, like I eat moose meat every night. Um, and I don't really get tired. So of course it's prepped in, various ways but it's just like i can eat moose and beans every day and i'm fairly satisfied of course like you do look forward to certain treats and like i bought a bunch of oreos and um i bought a bunch of these to stick in my drop bags and like i packed every single reese and oreo into my drop bags and like all I can think about is fucking Reese's and Oreos. <laughs> it's like I sent my drop bags out and I'm just like, fuck, I want one. Um, I love it. I love it, dude. <laughs> do, uh, those are great I'll- selections, by the way. I got to add that out there. Like those are great selections. Yeah, I thought so. And um, I was like, these would be fucking good. You know, I went and bought the big like Costco pack of, uh, of Reese's and um so and then I, I was at the store when I was in Anchorage with my daughter and I was like, oh, we're, we're getting some Oreos. And then I ended up eating the entire entire package on the drive up. That a baby. Yeah. I so love it. I was hitting them hard. And then I but I still want Oreos like today. I woke up and I was like, fuck, I'm really fiending, bro. You're yeah, fiending. I'm, like, I'm like a crackhead. But so, so essentially I, you're I, looking I, forward I to moose Oreos and Reese's. It sounds like pretty much uh mandy burmeister aaron's wife she um wanted to cook my uh my meals for my drop bags and so she did that she made me some moose chili she made me some breakfast burritos um there's like some moose stew a few other little things you know to send out along the trail so like um her her cooking's top notch, so I'm looking forward to all that as well. Big shout out right there. Hey, yeah. that's important, man. You don't want to be like mid race, like worried about your BMs, you know. So, you know, before I just kind of thought that, you know, I was like, oh, I'll figure it out, you know, what I'll pack, and I was that was like the last thing on my mind as far as drop bags go and getting everything ready. So yeah, when it came to the personal food, I, I didn't really have much. And then she was just like, Hey, I want to cook your meals. What are you doing? I'm like, Oh, thank God. Cause I'm pretty sure I would have been a, a starving musher out there. 
<laughs> you would have been looking to one of your homies <laughs> like, hey, man, you got a little extra something, something. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, so I'm curious, like, are you buddy buddy with any of, of the other mushers out there? Is there, you know, are you, if, if you're like traveling next to XYZ or whatever, are you, I don't know. I'm just curious. Or are you just like, you're not really concerned about friends right now? Um, I mean, I, I definitely consider, um, you know, a a good amount of these guys, friends, um, you know, we're not, uh, we're not hanging out a bunch. Um, but there's, uh, there's definitely a a group of mushers, um, that I consider friends and that I like traveling the trail with and, um, definitely, you know, wouldn't be disappointed or whatever if they end up camping near me or I end up camping near them. Of course, it's always, always nice to have, uh, some friends out there sometimes, you know, sometimes it's nice just being on your own or whatever as well. But, um, there's, there's some cool mushers in this, in this sport and, you know, yeah, I, I, I enjoy, that's kind of like one of the things about going to races it's also a little bit of a social event as well. You know, it's the one time we get to get together and bullshit and talk dogs and see each other. So I always look forward to it. So it sounds like there's not necessarily, you know, there's not necessarily a musher in the race that when it's the off season, you guys might be kicking back, having a couple brews together or anything. No, um, there's no, no one quite like Sean, for example. No, uh, there's no one like, yeah, that I'm like hitting up, but we all live, you know, like I'm in Anchorage. Um, and there's mushers that like when they're, when they do pop into Anchorage, like, ah, oh, fuck, let's grab a beer or whatever. And of course I'm down. Um, but it, there's, we're kind of spread out. Everybody's busy and it's just kind of tough to to get together so that's kind of like what makes it so nice with with the races you know it's like the one time where we actually can meet up and you know shoot shoot the shit right gotcha that makes sense i mean (laughs) everything right on the trail (laughs) everything right everything that you've you've spoke about just like there's so many responsibilities so it's not like in your case if you want to go hang out with whoever it is that's around you uh would you say bailey's around you for example uh if you leave and go hang out for the night like i guess tony could in theory watch the dogs but there's not like the team of people that you can rely on you you, it's still on you so yeah taken care of and of course you know and then that's the other thing like i i like doing things myself um i like feeding the dogs i like scooping their shit then it's that way i know who eats what their stools look like you know who's off eddie are you a control freak it sounds like you're a control freak now man maybe i am maybe you know i got (laughs) i got some issues that i need to navigate through but uh i like i like being involved um and i you know you start getting too many hands in the pots and too many different ways of doing things not that like obviously 
Tony is, uh, he's one of the best dog men around. So like whatever he does, like I know it's done right, but I guess I'm just kind of speaking in general. Um, you know, it's just, you don't know who's doing what and how they're doing it and if it's being done the right way. And then, like I said, who's eating and who might have an off night, and whatever. So I, I get I, it, man. I get I it. Like knowing all these things and I want them knowing that I'm the one taking care of them. And so like that bond and the relationship with the dog is one of my favorite things about mushing. And it's one of, I think the most important things as well. So I, I, I definitely put a lot of work into that. And I take a lot of pride into it as well. Oh, that's, it's so interesting just to hear this perspective again, for me, you know, like I'm not in Alaska, so I don't have that Alaska like mindset. And then just i don't know it's just it's a unique man I, i've been I've, I've enjoyed this uh th this recording with you my last question because again like i said i feel like we can go forever but uh <laughs> like going into the iditarod um you know you kind of talked about you you have some goals in mind and whatnot is For there sure. anything that you have in, re in regards to certain sections of the race, are there anything, is there anything that you're like, okay, I got to keep my eyes out for this section of the race, or, you know, I know when I get to the gorge or whatever, that like the shit's about to get real or whatever, like, is there anything? Yeah. Anything so that like leaving rainy pass, you, you know, that you, you got some technical trail ahead of you. Um, and then, you know, basically once I get through past Roan, um, then things start to start to mellow out and it's just kind of cruising along from there. But, you know, you have that section of trail that's going to be, or can be, you know, if it's a good snow year, things can be fairly moderate or that's what I hear. Um, if it's a low snow year, things can get a little, little radical. So, but I guess that's something I have mentally in the back of my mind. I mean, I'm, I'll take it for what it is. Someone can try to walk you through the sections of trail, you know, Oh, you go a mile here and then you're going to hit a big hill and you need to watch out for that. It's like, I'm not intelligent enough to remember all that. Um, <laughs> That's like the other thing why I, you know, uh, I learn by like watching and doing. I, uh, people try to tell me shit. It, I get all, you know, I forget it and, um, or I just get confused. So that's one of the other reasons why I don't really, you know, reach out and ask for like, well, hey, what should I do here and what should I do there and whatever. I just like going out and figuring shit out on my own. So, um, I guess as far as the trail goes, I'm just kind of, yeah, looking to take it as it comes. So, uh, okay. I know there definitely challenges. I know there'll be some, some tough parts some some wild rides. Hopefully I have some fun through those sections and we can, we can make it through it safely. Um, that's, I guess, probably the biggest thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, Sean always talks about how like, 
your goal is to, you know, cross the finish line with a bunch of healthy dogs and yep. know, do, hopefully you can do that as in the safest way and fastest way possible. <laughs> safest, fastest, you know, and like right now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get 14 healthy dogs to the, to the starting line right now. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a, uh, a battle as well. I, it just seems like getting to the starting line of Iditarod is, um, it's, it's a challenge that's, in itself. I was going to say that's almost like the drop bags is a battle, right? That, that battles over and yeah. now getting to the finish line or to the starting line is, is a battle too. You know, and we just went, we did EKGs, what, yesterday? I think, I don't know, whatever Sunday was. What's today, Monday? Today is, well, it's funny enough, it's uh, it's past midnight over here, so I guess technically okay. it's Tuesday. Well. Uh, but yeah, Monday for you. We had EKGs, so we went and did that. Uh, and it's just kind of like, you know, one thing after another. And I got about, what i think five more runs with the dogs and i'm headed to anchorage you know okay. i nice. think i'm anchorage like march 1st and then we have the banquet and the meetings on the second so it's just it's kind of a cluster and of course i gotta kind of get everything all tidied up and you know everything ready to go so that way it can all just be driven, sleds packed, ready to, you know, leave the starting line. Um, so it's going to be, even though I guess I got like a week, it's still a, a busy schedule up until then. But yeah, it, uh, getting to the start line, I think, is going to be like our, I guess, from my perspective so far. I haven't been on the trail yet, so I don't really know what all that entails, but it just seems like getting to the starting line of Iditarod might be tougher than the race itself. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, uh, like I said, I don't, uh, don't want to take too much more of your time. So just want to thank you for just the time, first of all, and then secondly, yeah. Dude, you're just so you're so down to earth, man. It's it's a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, shit, what else would I be? <laughs> I hope that I hope that the the listeners are enjoying, you know, your content. I I really feel like you do a good job of um painting a good picture in terms of what you're going through. You know, again, like you're just trying to get to the starting line right now and uh you know, that's yeah. like a reality yeah. for for someone who doesn't have like this huge you know kennel and doesn't have uh unlimited resources and such and so you know i know we're rooting you on man i know sean sean's rooting you on i'm rooting you on and and uh so we wish you the best and <clears throat> i guess one thing i really want to say real quick is that i just want to acknowledge the listeners real quick i was <laughs> I meant to do this at the front of the episode, but I was excited to to get into it with Eddie and and with my technical issues, I also felt really bad about making you wait any longer. But uh, 
I appreciate all the listeners that are tuning in and, and listening to us. Um, if you aren't following us already, please check us out on Instagram. We are mushing.alaska.podcast. We have a Facebook page that we just started the other day. We encourage you guys to interact. So if you have any questions that we need to answer or, um, you know, things that you're looking forward to coming up with the Iditarod, we encourage you to interact with us on those pages. And um, yeah, we'll just go ahead and end this episode. Thanks again for listening, guys.